Welcome everyone to the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Let's go! You're listening to episode 179, and today we have Rand Fishkin. Rand runs most of the show at Spark Toro. He was formerly co-founder of and CEO of Moz, co-founder of Inbound.org, and author of Lost and Founder, A Painfully Honest Field Guide to the Startup World. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but he does have a bit of a chip on his shoulder and is deeply passionate about making Spark Toro a great company, at least by his own peculiar standards. Rand, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely, man. It, it is an absolute honor to have you on, and I'm excited to share, uh, to hear your story, but more specifically, some tips on how to just be a better founder, a better uh, business professional. But before we get into all those heavy-hitting questions about business and entrepreneurship and your new book, we have to talk about the important stuff here, and that is food. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat and what are you going to order to make your day complete? I mean, I think the best meal I ever had was uh, in a little village in Italy. It's called Frigento. Uh, it's not the prettiest village, but it is... Um, it's special because my, my wife's grandparents are from there. My wife is Italian and um, she grew up speaking Italian. And um, Her family who's in the U.S. are mm, mediocre cooks, let's say. But uh, her family in Italy, extraordinary. And so, uh, yeah, we went up to this town and stayed in a little uh, pensione. And um, the pasta and the, and the sausage and the... The whole meal was just Everything. unbelievable, you know, like awesome. better than any book you've ever read about what it's like going to an Italian Sunday dinner. Very uh, cool. You know, and it goes from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. And uh, the courses never end. And, uh, That's that, the that way to do it. Are, are you, are you yeah. having any type of wine uh, with, with that meal as well to compliment <laughs> or? Well, so my wife's family, I mean, my wife's family, they're, they're, you know, they're not, they're not fancy. They're, uh, you know, whatever, whatever's available. Nice. Uh, wine, Resourceful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not, uh, it's not like, it's not like French wine where they're sort of, oh, you know, it's from this vineyard and this appellation and all this kind of stuff. They're like, it's wine. You drink it, you get drunk. It, right. it <laughs> yeah, and that it does. So, yeah. and uh, the first real question of the podcast uh, is tell me about a time that you felt lost or blind in business and how did you overcome those obstacles? Sure. Um, uh, many times I still feel that way. Um, still feel that way regularly. I think, I think one of the most lost times I ever felt was uh, at Moz. We, you know, we'd grown our, our product, our software product and revenue. This is um, 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had gone to spend a week uh, at my friend Will Reynolds' house and, and running his company, Sear Interactive. Um, and he came to 
Moz to run Moz for a week. He lived in our apartment. He, uh, you know, walked to work, walked to our offices and uh, did all the team meetings and um, yeah, uh, managed the company for a week. And then, you know, while I was, while I was at SEER, I sort of, I don't know, had this revelation that I had not been staying close to my customers and that I didn't really know and understand what they did anymore. Um, and that I was just making assumptions uh, based on past success and, and it had gone to my head. And I think I felt, uh, I loved the experience, um, but I felt really lost about what I was doing at Moz, what we were building at Moz and, and the product that we released and um, ended up being you know, kind of a, a terrible failure. Uh, this big product we've been working on for years and um, was not what our customers needed. I think it took us probably a good year to get back to a decent place. Um, and even now, I think Moz is recovering from the hangover of that experience. Mm. Now, I actually remember the time that you and Will, who I follow, both follow, and I actually have a special story about that uh, in later on in the podcast. Um, but I remember your exchange on social media about switching and, and going over, would you? Because yeah, right, I ran his Twitter account too for that one. Yeah, would yeah. you? Would you do that again? I mean, maybe not with the same the same company, yeah. but like, do you think that's something that maybe all businesses should do to kind of absorb themselves into another company, see how they run, and take back whatever the learnings are back to your to your your own? Um, I mean, I it's something I wish lots of people could do, but I don't think it's very realistic uh, you've got to be you know you've got to be in a particular situation for example it'd be very hard for me to do with will now you know he's got two kids um and you know his obligations are different than what they were and of course spark toro is a really you know it's a two-person operation and that would be quite challenging in terms of you know life role swapping but i do think and i do suggest you know in the book and and just in general that, uh, that whatever you can do to spend real quality time getting to know your actual customers and watching them, observing them, doing the work that you're trying to help them with, um, that, that is a wonderful thing. So tell me a little bit about the book, Lost and Founder. Um, it's, I'm sure it's a, it, it cures, it helps a lot of people um, with their day-to-day -day business. Can you just talk a little bit about the book? Why did you do it and why should we read it? Yeah, so I wrote the book because I kept having the same conversation over and over again with entrepreneurs, and I wanted to try and scale that. You know, there's only so many people you can meet for coffee, and I felt like these lessons that, um, that I had learned that so many other people had painfully learned could potentially help a lot of folks avoid these nasty pitfalls um, that come from building a business and also feel less alone. Uh, which I think is, is equally important. So Lost and Founder is uh, 17 chapters, each of them on a different topic. They try and dispel a common myth um, that you know, a lot of Silicon Valley culture has. Uh, and I think that, you know, why should you read it? Well, if, if you are an entrepreneur or someone who's at an early stage company or you're thinking about joining or building an early stage company or going out on your own, um, either in the services or product world, uh, Lost and Founder might help you avoid a lot of, yeah, nasty experiences. And I think we all 
experienced that, um, that, that where the reason why you wrote that book, I mean, if you could just growing an organization like Moz, uh, to its height. And in my opinion, Moz has always been, and will forever will be a leader in the SEO slash marketing industry. What were some of the things that you've learned from a leadership perspective uh, about growing the company? Or what did you even learn about yourself about growing a company to where it was when, once you left? Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that is exactly the, the, the topic of the book, right? That um, you learn a tremendous amount and a lot of those learnings come from failing first uh, and not being, you know, not being savvy about what you're going to encounter. So, uh, you know, oh, when the team size uh, grows to a certain point or grows at a certain acceleration rate, uh, a lot of cultural elements change and get lost. A lot of the people who like the company when it was 40 people aren't going to like the company at 80 or 120 because of who they are and what they like to do and the fact that people don't like change and you're going to have to work through that and potentially lose some of your you know best people who've been with you a very long time and you're going to feel like that must be your fault or it must be their fault and maybe it's nobody's fault right and, and maybe you, you can have forgiveness on both sides um you will find that um, a lot of things change about your product and customers, right? So when you, um, when you are early stage and you launch a you know, crappy early version of your product, the MVP, that can be great. That can be totally fine, right? And then you can learn and iterate and grow. When you have lots of customers and lots of people pay attention to the stuff you launch and you put out an MVP, you will be judged for that. You will develop a reputation for having crappy, way too early products, and that can present a nasty brand hangover for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of lots and lots of things. Yeah. So, so one of the hardest things to do in business is to obtain or achieve your first 100 customers. Um, I would love to be able to hear how you were able to obtain either your first hundred thousand, whatever number you felt you feel necessarily talking about. How were you able to achieve and accomplish that feat? Yeah, so Moz's first hundred customers were probably consulting clients uh, from you know two thousand one to two thousand seven, and we struggled to get you know, a lot of those until, until the very end, we were, we were struggling a lot of those through networking and, you know, through, um, we try to go to events and put up booths. Um, we did some, you know, local advertising, we put up ads on Craigslist, you know, for yeah. web design, that <laughs> kind of stuff. Uh, it was really, really, really hard. The next, you know, the next, stage of that the evolution of that was when customer acquisition became really easy for us um, and that happened that happened probably starting in 2005 uh, and into 2007 and that I think that changed primarily because the blog I had built seomoz.org uh, became this sort of hub for SEO information and so a lot of people would come there to learn they Google things about SEO and they'd find us because we were ranking well in the search engines. Um, I shouldn't say they Googled because back then, you know, Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo had almost equal market share. And so, we, you know, we ranked really well in 
uh, in all three of those. In fact, better in Yahoo and, and MSN than in uh, than in Google. But we, you know, I started speaking at conferences, and speaking at conferences is way different from exhibiting. You know, exhibiting is just a rough, rough gig. Uh, speaking, we got a lot of clients from that. So. Uh, I think those things got easier because we found our marketing flywheel, right? We found this repeatable activity, the blog, where I could put effort into it. And, you know, the more, uh, the more times I did that, the faster it would spin, the bigger our reputation would grow, uh, the more people would find us through search engines, the more people would find us through people who linked to us and talked about us. Um, and that reputation built our consulting practice. So do you, so I, I, when it comes to marketing businesses, um, I do look at Moz uh, as the pioneer of that give first mentality. And you started that with your blog when it comes to the whiteboards uh, sessions that you did via video and, and, and the history it goes on and on and on. Do you think businesses today can adopt that give mentality, that resource mentality, that value mentality uh, in order to build their business to whatever it is that they want to grow today, basing using your same a very similar structure or model. Uh, yes, but I would say that it's massively more difficult today in most industries. Right, uh, it, it, it was relatively easy for me in SEO because I was so early to the market. Right, there were a few other blogs that people read. There were a few forums and communities, but not very many. Uh, it was pretty easy to stand out. You can go back and look at the posts from 2004, 5, 6. They, they weren't great. They weren't amazing content. You know, they weren't incredible things. But they, they got the job done because uh, we were in a field that was growing, that didn't have a lot of resources. So I think identifying those weaknesses and then trying to serve an underserved market or trying to um, produce content that other people are not pr producing, that, that's where the value comes from. Do you, do you think there's a time constraint as to how often you have to uh, continue to develop and, and give value um, before you start seeing results, before you start seeing, uh, a, so, so to speak, a customer come through? Because a lot of early stage startups in particular, they may not have the time. They're ticking time bombs, so to speak, between the, them getting a customer versus them providing value. Do you feel like there's a balance in, in that? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I worry about the most is this idea that's entrenched in startup world that um, you should focus exclusively on building your product. And then when you have your product, now it's time to do marketing. I think that's a recipe for disaster and failure. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a ton of startups go under because they don't, before they, before they build a product, before they have a product, build an audience build a community of people who care about what they're doing, validate that what they're doing is, is interesting to a lot of those people, have, this, have a great answer to the question, who will help me amplify this thing that I'm going to build and why? Mm. Uh, and if you, can't, if you can't answer that question, I think, I think you are probably sunk. Um, and I wish, I, wish, I wish A, startups thought about themselves more patiently. Mm. This, this idea of this crazy rush that, you know, you have to get to market as fast as possible. You have to deliver the minimum, you know, viable product. You have to uh, do it really quickly. I, I think that's a fallacy. 
Um, I think that there's a lot more successful, would be a lot more successful startups, and are plenty of them, where people build them in their spare time, right, and they, they have their regular job, uh, or they give themselves a long runway because they, when they take their funding, they, you know, work from <laughs> a home office, you know, their shed behind their house, uh, <laughs> and they spend very little next to nothing, and thus they've got, you know, years of runway to produce a great product and to make a marketing, you know, give themselves a marketing engine through which they can sell. Yeah, uh, that's, that's great advice. Um, I would feel awful if I didn't at least ask this question. Is there anything that you see on the horizon for SEO um, that maybe most businesses or startups aren't necessarily using this particular technique in order to further uh, rank themselves on search engines or to gain more traffic to their website. Is there anything that you would recommend that we should look at in a, the world of 2018 and beyond? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things, this has been true for a long time, but it's also been ignored for a long time by most businesses, and that is um, image search gets about a third of all Google searches. Mm. Which is, which is kind of insane, right? So people search for something in Google and then they click on images or they go right to you know, Google Images and, and do a search. Uh, and in some fields, there is tremendous opportunity to uh, earn traffic and earn brand awareness and you know, get good results from ranking in those image search results. And so I, I think that visual content um, is something I absolutely would urge certain types of companies and, and organizations to invest in. Um, I think another big one that many people ignore is on-surf SEO. So when you do a when you perform a search query, almost fifty percent of the search queries that that are done are answered by Google in the search results without a click. Mm. Half of all the searches that are performed, and that's. That's because most, you know, it's, I think it's something like 58% uh, on mobile and sort of 40% on desktop. So, you know, desktop leans more strongly click heavy, mobile leans more strongly answer right in the search results heavy. Uh, but thinking about what shows up in the search result, you know, the title and the meta description, can you get that featured snippet? Do you have visuals that could get in there? Do you have a YouTube video that gets in there? Is there a knowledge graph that you could own and control? You know, are you a, mm. an entity or profile that could go claim that entity or profile in Google? Uh, they, they just launched this program a couple weeks ago, right? And then uh, go control what shows up there and which URLs are there. All that type of stuff, right? Um, that, that is stuff that I, I think most businesses just ignore. They think about how do I rank number one and then how do I get the traffic from that? And the sad answer is sometimes ranking number one is not nearly as powerful as what shows in the search results. Mm, that you know, is for a ton of businesses, problem. people search for it and then they see a phone number and they call the phone number or they yeah. search for it. They see an answer to the thing that they thought they knew that, that, that they wanted and their query is done and you never see them. Very interesting. That's uh, incredible advice. And so, so Rand, uh, I'd like to shake the conversation up just a little bit, uh, but before we do, I uh, just have to ask everybody that's watching and listening to subscribe to the podcast at tbeshow.com uh, or smash the subscribe button on YouTube. So I did some research before we started this conversation 
Um, and I went through and combed your entire Instagram in order to find some awesome uh, pictures that you've taken. And there uh, are a lot of themes, believe it or not, within your Instagram that you may not be aware of. So the first one that I'm going to show you is a man that you already referenced earlier in the conversation. Uh, and his name is Will Reynolds. And I actually have a meeting with Will um, in August. And I'm from Philadelphia, uh, right cool. outside Philadelphia. And I'm sure Philadelphia has a, a special place in your heart because yeah. it's where uh, Seer Interactive was actually created. Um, and so this is just a picture of you and Will. Uh, you guys are at the uh, in Seattle at uh, Lagunitas. And I see there's a bromance going uh, between you and Will. And I love your, your banter and your support of one another. What is your relationship like between yourself and Will, the brotherhood? Could you speak to it a little bit? Sure. I mean, uh, I think it started even before CEO Swap, obviously. But um, I would say it is a, a deeply powerful experience to live someone else's life. And I don't know that that's something that many people get to experience, but, but we did, right? We got to, uh, we traded email accounts, right? And passwords. And, you know, I, I talked to Will's mom, and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Will, Will and I both had employees who uh, took meetings with us, unexpected meetings with us that week and quit. Like each other's employees, you know, okay, I guess Rand's the CEO this week, so I'm going to have coffee with him and tell him I'm leaving the company. You know, that happened to Will as well uh, with one of our engineers. And so, yeah, we have a, we have a very close relationship. We, um, uh, I think my, my favorite thing in the world was uh, Will's older son, Rio, um, <laughs> the, uh, was, was getting a bath and, and uh, their, their nanny Emily was, was taking a little video and Rio is like naming people in his family. So, you know, he's like Dada, Mama, Tio, which is his his uncle, Momo, which is his grandmother, and then Rand and Dee Dee, Rand and Charlie. Oh, that's and awesome! Like, oh my God! Yeah. You kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's uh, so cool. Yeah, it's uh, we are we're tight. That's awesome, man. Well, kudos uh, to you guys. Uh, this one, this one is just a, a interesting picture that I thought was pretty funny uh it was just you uh I think you were in Scotland uh yeah. and you just found some dude that was nicely dressed uh you got a very interesting style very very identifiable has that always been the case or was there a point in time where you were the nerdy guy that had no no swag whatsoever oh god of course Jesus. <laughs> no uh do not look at me in high school or college or before 2006. So uh, I think, I think I, I woke up and got this idea like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? Maybe I should lose some weight and uh, start dressing a little better and caring what I look like and, you know, um, getting better haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that uh, definitely a change. So this uh, picture, this isn't necessarily a picture of you, but it's more so pictures of themes that I've, that I've come across. And every, almost every picture that you've taken on Instagram has friends yeah. and has this unity of friendship that you have, whether it's Will or you know, other people that you're friends with. Um, you seem to have a good balance of 
life and business and things like that. Could you just give some like a brief recommendation of like how important balance is or some words of wisdom to how important balance is as an entrepreneur? Sure. Well, I think that um, one of the things that I did for a long time, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do this, um, is get very obsessive about work and believe that it's important to be single-minded about that, right? So, um, you know, no family, no kids, no friends, no, you know, out extracurricular activities. It is just the work. And, you know, if I concentrate relentlessly on just my business for the next you know, five years, whatever it is, I'll build something extraordinary. Um, and that is a lie. Uh, it's a lie told to us mostly by um, mostly by the investor community of primarily Silicon Valley, but but I think you know a broader segment of um, you know investment communities in, in the United States. And because of that, a lot of entrepreneurs think that they are not allowed to have um, a life right outside of outside of work. And I, I can tell you very honestly that. Statistically speaking, you are extremely unlikely to be productive for all of that time. Uh, and that the hours worked between hour you know, 45 and hour 80 in a given week are nearly useless. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I think most studies that have looked at them have said that they're net negative. You're actually detracting from your potential performance. And that doesn't matter if you're coding or if you're a CEO or if you are a designer or uh, if you are a marketer or a researcher, whatever you're doing, doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're generally net negative uh, on those things. I think, um, you know, Wall Street does the same thing with their um, investment professionals believing that, you know, somehow they're, they, they defy biology and that, you know, hours 45 through 80 are somehow productive and they're, they're just not. You know, yeah. uh, you're bound to make more mistakes that will cost you in the long term that you're going to have to go back, have to go back and do. Um, Which is probably more costly once you have yeah, to go back in, in it's general. All, it's insanity, right? It's just, yeah. just a dumb idea that like feels, you know, especially when you're 25, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do nothing else. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and, and for some reason, there's people who are telling you that that's the right thing to do possibly because people told them mm -hmm. uh, and it it's just not the case right uh, well speaking of hard work uh and and this has to be incredibly challenging to do which is signing 300 copies of your first book correct yeah first book um and you're in i believe quebec at the time and so just looking at this photo what is it like to be able to call yourself an author and be able to sign these books for all these people, these fans. Um, what is that experience like for you on, on a personal level? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, it's an honor for sure. And I think it's also, um, I guess I have my fingers crossed that the, that the book can be, you know, valuable to these folks that it'll, it'll be meaningful and that, um, you know, hopefully having met the author, even, even for a few minutes, right. And having just a, you know, brief conversation can help them connect with, Oh, this is a real human being. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, 
you know, some, I don't know, celebrity or something like that, right? Like, he's just like me. Um, and, uh, and, and hopefully feeling that way means that when you read the book, you can sort of imagine yourself in those experiences and, and imagine yourself maybe making better decisions because you, you, because you've read it and you've been through that, you know, the experience with me at least once. I ask every single person this question, and I'm going to completely throw you under the bus on this one. Yeah, go for uh, it. So uh, it, it's definitely a, a thinker. Um, so I have to preface this before I, I ask, what is your dream? I mean, I am someone who um, has a very high set of expectations for himself. Like I, um, I believe that I am capable of building special things. And I think that because of that, I also have an obligation to do that. And, and that I have an obligation to um, leverage the, whatever it is that I build, whether it's, you know, sort of wealth or, or influence or um, good advice or, you know, uh, pitfalls to avoid. Um, I, I think that it's my, my duty to share those things um, with people who need it. And so I think, for me, the um, the dream has been for a long time to um, build a very successful company and organization that does uh, that has a great product and does good for its community, for the world, for its employees, uh, for its investors, for you know its founders, and um, and then hopefully leverage that experience to to give back. Yep. Awesome. A beautiful answer. Thank you for the, your, uh, your honesty. My, my final question ran for you today is the blind entrepreneur podcast was created for people who are lost or blind in business. Um, could you just give some final clo and final closure, just give three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur that's lost or blind in business? Yeah. Um, I think my first bit of advice is that, uh, Self-care is not indulgent. Uh, it is not forbidden. It is not something that you have to earn in order to deserve. Uh, you earned it and you deserved it by being alive. Hmm. You are a human being. We all are and we deserve to take care of ourselves. We deserve to forgive ourselves for our mistakes and to uh, accept ourselves for who we are and then to um, be be kind be be kind to ourselves and through that we can be kind to others it's very difficult to be a, to show great kindness to other people if you can't do it to yourself so first piece of advice second piece of advice uh, if you are struggling in your in your business is um, spend time with your customers uh, personal time and professional time and you don't need to do it with a ton of them. Usually the same things you can learn from, you know, a hundred customers, you can learn from a dozen. And so I would urge you to do that, right? Go out there and, and spend time with those dozen, maybe two dozen customers uh, and watch them doing the work that you're trying to help them with or, or playing the games you're trying to create for them or uh, the ones that you want to imitate or, you know, doing whatever it is uh, the activities that you're trying to serve. Uh, and my third, my third bit of advice is um, 
if you are starting a company or building something and you're struggling because you believe what you're supposed to do is, is X and you feel like you're not accomplishing X, one of the things you might consider is changing your perspective on why you believe that this is what you have to build. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of us are, are locked in, right? If you've raised venture capital, okay, you have an obligation. That fund has to return, you know, five to 10X, maybe hopefully 20 or 100X on the investment that they made in you, uh, or you've got to die trying, right? That is the obligation that you, you signed up for that, um, and now you have to build that. But if you are not uh, venture-backed or, or locked into something like that, your options are much greater, right? Um, if the business isn't growing at the speed that you want, you could consider, could I make this business more profitable? Could I do the same with less? Um, and that way, you know, take out more profit or have more time or those kinds of things. If you're struggling because um, the, you, you know, you have one particular problem in your business, I write about this a lot in, in Lost and Founder, and you're trying to mm -hmm. muddle your way through it, a lot of times there's a way around that problem. Like you can actually just ignore the problem and build a business that is, does not require a solution to it um, or talk to your you know, employees and team about, hey, you know what, Let, let's throw in the towel temporarily on this problem and see if we can just go through this work without, uh, you know, what, what we need to do uh, without solving it. And you'll be shocked. Sometimes you'll find, oh, actually, we that wasn't even a problem we needed to solve. Why, why was I so upset and obsessed with that for so long? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, those things. I think those are things that come with sort of maturity. Once you've seen it a bunch of times, you yep. get to this place of, oh, let me just engineer a business that doesn't need that thing. Yep. Yeah, it's spoken from a true, a true professional and veteran in the world of entrepreneurship. Brand, thank you so much for your time uh, talking to us today about your experiences. Uh, I'd like to give you the next 30 seconds to promote whatever it is you have going on. How can people learn more about you, be a part of your journey, and potentially buy your book? Oh, or sure. a customer of Spark Toro, either one. Uh, so Spark Toro doesn't have a product yet. Uh, it, is, it is probably nine months to a year away. But uh, if you do want to check out, we did build a little something. It's just a free tool on Spark Toro that helps web marketers keep up to date with what's uh, sort of hot in the industry. That's at sparktoro.com slash trending and uh, it's sort of a hacker news or a tech meme for marketers. The other thing that you're, uh, you know, that, that I'm active in is, uh, is Twitter and you're welcome to follow me there. I'm at Randwish. Very cool. Awesome. Well, to those that are still watching and listening, thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to tbeshow.com for more interviews. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. For more awesome interviews like the one you just saw, head over to tbeshow.com or hit that beautiful subscribe button. If you're feeling adventurous, and I know that you are, check out some of our other videos on Penji's YouTube channel. We play games, tell jokes, and make each other laugh, all while at work.